Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay. Just kidding. They're not being heathens. Sort of. Um, my family and I were, I guess you could say, if I'm going to call them heathens, we were being heathens this week. We uh, went down to the uh, Oregon coast for uh, a wedding. Um, I think most of you know, I, my wife and I served as youth pastors um, kind of over around the, the northwest for about 12 years, and uh, this weird thing starts happening when, when you become an older, former youth pastor. All of your junior hires start getting married, and in your head, they're still junior hires. Anybody know this feeling? Like you, I, I'm at this wedding, and I'm watching them get married. I'm like, they can't do this. They're like 14. I mean, she's in medical school, and she's almost a doctor, but she's 14 in my head, and it was just weird and wrong, and... Uh, but it was fun. We were at the Oregon coast. I finally found uh, a beach that I like because it's cold there. My wife's happy because there's an ocean. I'm happy because it's cold. And it was a match made in heaven, and I plan on being back there sooner than later, if the Lord be willing. Uh, this morning, we're going to go ahead and continue in, in a series we launched into uh, last week. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and just jump right into kind of our, uh, our, our launch pad scripture for this series. Second uh, Corinthians, or sorry, not Second Corinthians, it's Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians 2, 16. I'm reading out of the ESV Bible. If you have one of those flat screen things that you can change it, it'll be easier for you, or you can just follow along on the screen. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 16 through 19, it says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Let's pray together and jump into the word. Holy Spirit, we thank you today for your living, active, breathing word. God, I thank you that it's not a dead and passive word, but a living and active word. So God, we ask for the supernatural ability to, to uh, see your word, to hear your word, to perceive and, and receive your word. God, that, that we would be able to hear you speak this morning and that through hearing, God, we would be transformed. Let us, let us perceive your word and, and, and take it in, God. Let it, let it not just be something that rushes past us. God, we know that as we go to your word, it's like drinking from a fire hose, God. Far more will get past us than gets in us. But, Lord, we still ask for some, come on, to get in us 
and to transform us, God, not by some sort of external behavior modification, but by a genuine encounter with you that causes us to be transformed at the deepest level possible. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. God, be glorified in all that we do today. Be magnified and exalted. Be the one who is the receiver of not just some of the honor and not just some of the glory, but all of the honor and all of the glory. For, Lord, you and you alone, Jesus, are worthy. You and you alone are able to receive power and wealth and wisdom and honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, so everybody said? So we, we looked at this last week. Um, Paul here exhorts us, uh, showing us a negative. He exhorts us in the positive to hold fast to the head. That's Jesus, from whom the whole body, that is the church, is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments. Now, I forgot my little demonstration but we talked last week about joints and ligaments. I think I still have the definitions of joints and ligaments. So joints are a structure in the body at which two parts of the skeleton are fit, fitted together. And then a ligament is a, a short band of tough, flexible, fibrous, connective tissue that holds together a joint. So what Paul here is saying is that we grow with, with biblical, godly growth that comes from Jesus, which, come on, is the only kind of growth we want as a church. And that kind of growth comes when we are knit together, when we are together. It comes through our connectedness. You and I are parts of the body, amen? We're different parts. We look different. We talk different. We walk different. We, we may have different, we, we certainly have different uh, experiences, and therefore we may have different emphases, but we're still called to be one. We're called to be connected. You're not called to be a disconnected part. You're called to be a part. Amen? Not a part, a part. Because if you're a part, you can't be a part. So don't be a part, just be a part. We all together on that? Because I'm lost. Um, and so what we're talking about in this series called We Are is, is those, are those things that connect us, those, those ligaments. What are the things that God has uniquely placed here in this house that, that we are called to, to be held together by? What are the, the core identity uh, pieces that are called to be held together by? And we're looking at this passage, the first thing, and I'm going to say this every week, and if I don't, you have my permission to come up and call me on it. The number one primary thing that, it, that we are called to be held together by is Jesus, because we are all about Jesus. I don't just mean that it's all about Jesus. I mean as individuals, we are all about Jesus. We can unite under the banner as a people under Jesus. And if we're not united under that and we try to unite, come on, under other things, we, we're not doing it right. We'll fight about stupid things if we're not united under Jesus. But when we come together united under the banner of Jesus, we stand united in him. Amen? I put it this way last week, that, that nothing should divide us more than Jesus unites us. Now, now for, the, for, the, for those that are fearing that I'm being too simplistic, we're going to unpack what it means to be united in Jesus. But, but we can't miss, come on, that it's being united in Jesus. 
We can't miss that, that it, it, is, it is fundamentally at the core of the body that we be connected to the head. Because if we're not connected to the head, then that's just creepy. Come on, a body without a head is really scary. I don't want to see that. So this morning, I, I want to turn our attention, if we could, as we look at what it means to be united under Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody here to go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I want to show us something here that I think we, we cannot afford as the people of God to miss. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody say Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hint, talking about Jesus. This is describing to us Jesus. In all of the Gospels, which John is one of, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known in the Bible as the Gospels. If you've never read any of the Bible, I would recommend honestly starting right here in the Gospel of John and seeing Jesus. And in all of the Gospels, at the, at the front end of it, they give the, the genealogy of Jesus. Where did he come from? He, his, his earthly mother was Mary. His adopted earthly father was Joseph. And it gives the lineage of his earthly parents in the other Gospels. But in John's Gospel, it gives his eternal lineage. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things, how many things? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I love how clear John is being in verse 3. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, we need, to, we need to get this. We need to grab a hold of this. We need to understand this, that Jesus cannot be separated from his word. So if we are to be united, come on, somebody, uh, under Jesus, we must be united, come on, under the word. If you want to be united in Jesus, if we want to say as a church we're all about Jesus, fundamentally we can then not say that we are all about anything other than the word. We don't get to just make stuff up. We don't get to just kind of come up with random kind of ideas of things. It's really popular. I'm going to talk for a minute to anybody listening to the podcast for just a second because they email me. So it's really popular for, for preachers young like myself to just come up with stupid ideas and call them God ideas. It's really popular for young preachers, for young believers to abandon the scriptures for some other thing, be it ancient traditions or be it the, the, the more, most modern kind of thought in science. But we believe, come on, in the Bible. Amen? How many people love the Bible? Well, I'm asking, how many people love the Bible? How many people really love the Bible? Do you know that the Bible has been translated fully in over 500 languages? It has been said, uh, and there's no way to prove it or disprove it, so we'll just quote it as fact, uh, that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. The Bible is, is, has been beaten on and has been tried to be torn apart, but according to John, the darkness has not overcome it. And so we believe the Bible. The whole Bible has been translated uh, into over 500 languages. Uh, portions of the Bible, usually the Gospel of John, 
uh, the, new, the whole New Testament or Psalms have been translated, do you know this, in 2,881 languages. That's crazy. Because I barely speak one. But I, I, I want us to understand that, that when we say we're all about Jesus and when we say we're, we, we, we are lovers of the word, there, there comes with that a sense that, uh, that we, we are called to be not just those who are like ourselves, but, but, but we are called to be a multicultural church. Amen? We don't want to just be a bunch of people who look like us, walk like us, talk like us. So in an effort to do that, um, I'm going to pick on somebody, and he, he loves me. So I'm going to ask Chris to come up here real fast. Chris Rittens. I always say I'm never going to just make somebody do something. I'm going to ask for a volunteer, but I changed my mind, and my wife will yell at me later. I'd like us to be a little cultural this morning, amen? So there's a verse I really want us to read, but I think it, it's a good opportunity for us um, to, to understand it from a different cultural perspective. Everybody agreed to that? Is it good to see things from a different culture? So I'm just going to ask Chris to read the Bible. Can I do that in church? Can I ask somebody else to read the Bible? You cool with reading the Bible? Cool. Okay, so this is just, uh, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Okay? If you hung around church, you might have heard this before. If not, he's going to go ahead and read it for us. Why don't you just read from the top. Let's go ahead and read through the whole thing. Let's go right ahead. Hold that. I trust you with my iPad. Because you know, the stuff God tell us guys get plenty power and get life. What God say, go and go inside us, mo' better than one sword that get two sides sharp. <laughs> go and check out what we stay thinking and what stay inside our heart. And how come we stay doing what the kind stuffs do, we do? Does ja like one sharp sword that can open the joints and the bone marrow stuff? <laughs> Give it up for Chris, come on. <laughs> In case you're wondering, that beautiful translation, that would be uh, the Jesus book, which is a translation, a, a transliteration made for those Islander people who speak what's known as Hawaiian pidgin. And if you have uh, the U version on your phone or iPad, you have this version. You just have to go in and tell it you want to speak not English but Hawaiian, and you can study the word. Come on, in pidgin. How many people are grateful that there's multicultural work going on with the Bible? Amen. So that was, that was uh, my favorite is, is uh, the names they gave for the books of the Bible. It's Foda Hebrew Pipo. It's Hebrews chapter 12, chapter 4, verse 12. It says that the word is a sharp sword. I'm sure you all caught that from that version. It, it, it's a sharp sword. It, it, it cuts through everything. And so what I want to look at here real fast uh, is John chapter 1. Come on, now that we've seen the word, amen, and we, 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 we understand from John chapter 1, I want to just grab a hold of, of five quick things really, really fast that the word is because Jesus is. So these are characters of Christ that are also true of the word. And let me just say this right now. My goal this morning is not to prove to you that the Bible is true because I believe the Bible proves itself to be true. The Bible foretells things before they happen. They happen and it tells us about them and then explains to us how they happened. The Bible is a, is a self-proving text. I'm not one of these people who believes that, well, you just got to take everything in the Bible on faith. Don't get me wrong, faith is important, but God gives us in his word the, a, a trustworthy set of instructions, amen, that, that prove that it is not like any other book. The Bible in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 says that the word was in the beginning. That means that, the, that Jesus is 
eternal, and therefore his word is timeless. Amen? Trends might come, emphasis might come, uh, waves might come through, winds might blow, uh, uh, you know, some kind of popular things might happen. Culture comes and goes, but the word of God, come on, is timeless. Amen? It doesn't change. It doesn't, it doesn't fluctuate. It might be translated into pidgin or it might be in just straight up English, but it's the same. Amen? It's timeless. The Bible tells us that the word is creative, that through the word, all things were created. Uh, I, I put it this way when I was a youth pastor and trying to explain this to kids. The Bible doesn't just have truth, it is truth. That means that it doesn't, like all other books, look out and perceive things and then talk about them. That's facts. But the Bible, rather, by its very utterance, makes things true. It produces. It is creative. That means that when we're going through something, when you're struggling with something, it's not just that the Bible will tell you how to get through that thing. The Bible literally possesses within its pages, within the words, within the Spirit of God, within it, it produces. It has the power, rather, to produce change. So when we come to the Word and we pray, God, transform us by your Word, we don't just mean teach us a better way to live, though that is certainly a part of it. We mean, God, transform form us so that we are different. We don't just behave different. Boy Scouts will teach you to behave different. The word will transform who you are and you will be different because you are different and therefore your behaviors will follow who you are. So the word is timeless. The word is creative. The word is a wellspring, come on, of life. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that whom God loves, he rebukes. So when I say that the word is a wellspring of life, I don't mean that it's always nice or that it's always easy or that it's always fun. But what I'm telling you is it brings life to us. The Bible says that the word is like bread to our souls. It is like honey on our lips. It is a wellspring of life. Going to the word for one who has been converted and regenerate and brought into relationship with Christ ought not to be a labor-intensive thing. It ought to be a life-giving thing. I've said a lot that I think that we do a disservice when we talk about spiritual disciplines and, and disregard the fact that those disciplines fundamentally flow out of devotion. I have disciplines with my wife because I am devoted to her. There are things that, that, that happen and that we do in rhythms of our life and things that I do my best feeble attempts at being consistent in because I'm devoted to her. They're not laborious. Amen? We ought to be devoted because it's life-giving the next two are, are kind of tied together. It says that it, it's a light, that it illuminates dark places and that the darkness, come on, does not overcome it. To me, that means that it exposes those things that are hidden in our hearts. It's a light unto our path, amen? And that as it does this, we don't have to fear the darkness overcoming the light. But we can trust the fact that just as when we turn on the light switch in a room and the power flows to the light bulb and the little uh, filament inside of the light bulb begins to produce light, we don't hear a battle raging between light and dark. Light is victorious by its fundamental nature. 
The word of God is victorious by its very nature. Amen? So we, we understand this, that, that the word is timeless, the word is creative, the word is a source of life, the word illuminates, the word is victorious over darkness. But if I'm going to level with you, that's really nice and good, and I can rejoice in that, and I could, I could end here and say amen, but I feel like we need to, to see how that, that, that creative, that, that timeless, that life-giving, illuminating word, how does that come into my life and transform me, and how does it hold us together? Amen? If we're talking about ligaments, and I'm saying that Jesus is the primary ligament, and as, as Jesus is the primary ligament, also the word must be a ligament that holds us together. How does that work? So for this, we're going to go again to the word. Amen? I promise it won't be pigeon. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 all you Bible student people knew I was going here. Or like totally knew he was going to go there. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says all scripture. Everybody say all. I said this before, I'll say it again. I often look up the word all in Greek, and you know what it means in Greek? All. It's not a complicated word. It means all. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I, I want to try to take now, we, we saw in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, kind of this big overarching picture of the word and its role and its identity and its, its, its un, our understanding of its role as Jesus and Jesus as the word and their unique connectedness. But right now what I want to try to do is take that and, and distill it for us so that we can understand how it, how it factors in with us. And the first thing that we see from 2 Timothy 3.16 through 17 is this. All Scripture. That means you don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to go to it and say, well, I like this, but I don't like this. My friends struggle with this, so I'll emphasize that. I struggle with this, so I'll just ignore that. Culture really seems to not understand this, so I'll just scream this at the top of my lungs while ignoring all of this over here that I seem to struggle with. I'm sorry, that was too honest. We don't, we don't get to do that as a church. We have to go to the Scripture and say all Scripture is God-breathed, all of it. 66 books, roughly 40-some authors. There's some dispute over the authorship of certain books, but ultimately 66 books, 40 authors. That's what we believe. If you're wondering what we hold to be the true canon, that's it. 66 books, come on, 40 authors, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We, we love it, we read it, we, we live it as the grace of God gives us the ability. Amen? And we got to grab it all. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't, get to, we don't get to jump around. We don't get to play favorites with issues and things. We have to go to it and say, God, this is your word, and, and I'm asking you to speak to me and through speaking to me to deliver to me the grace to not only hear but the grace to obey. Amen? Amen? There's truth on every page of the Bible. 
We say it this way. We believe in the plenary verbal inspiration. Anybody ever read that on a church's website before? And you go, cool. Skim down to the next core value. All that means, plenary verbal, all it means, plenary just means, that it means two things at once. It means that all of the parts of the Bible are equally authoritative. We don't believe, some people say, well, well, we believe that the first five books are really the word of God. And the rest is kind of good, but not really the same. Or we believe that the New Testament, I, I talked to a, a brother in the Lord who said, I really believe the New Testament is more authoritative than the Old Testament. We don't get to do that. It's all, plenary means it's all equally authoritative. And it means what I mentioned earlier, that, it, that because it says it, it's true. Amen? Verbal just means that the words in the original manuscript were picked by God. This, this, this idea of, of God breathed, breathed out by God. Some of your translations will say inspired by God. The problem with the word inspired is this. It comes from a Latin word, inspirio. And inspirio means to breathe out. No, I'm sorry. Inspirio means to breathe in. It means to be inspired. It means to, like that, that moment where you see something amazing and what do you do? You go, oh. And the problem is God didn't breathe in his word, he breathed out his word. So inspired is not a good word. It really should be expired. The word is expired by God, except that gets confusing because I think of chunky milk. And nobody wants to think of chunky milk when they're going to the Bible. So, so we need to understand that by breathed out, we mean that God breathes out his own word. He does not, as some religions say, find a text of man and breathe his life upon it. But rather he breathed out his own word. Words. He spoke forth verbally the words in the original manuscripts as they appear. Amen? So we believe it. God breathed. It came from God for man. And we believe nothing else is like it. There's no extra stuff. There's no new stuff. We go back to the word. Amen? This has got to be... This has to be something that unites us. Listen, I, I love you, but if you're here and you're like, well, I like the, I like the music, and, you know, he's, he's kind of funny looking, and so I'm cool with listening to him because he's funny looking, but, but, you know, I'm really not into this whole kind of Bible thing. Well, listen, I love you, and you can hang out here as long as you want, but let me tell you something. If you don't love the Word, if, you're not, if you are not in love with the Word or desirous to be in love with the Word, this is going to be a very uncomfortable place for you. Because the next thing that Timothy tells us is, is that all Scripture is, is, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So it's not just breathed out by God, but it's profitable for you. Profitable literally means that it gives you an advantage. How does it give us this advantage? Teaching. Now, this is just a picture into my own study life and my own uh, kind of way of studying through the Scriptures. When I see a list like this, right, it's profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I try to figure out why God gave us that list. How has he structured that list? And when I see this, here's how I see it. This is just, we're going on a journey of Bible study together. Is that cool? Cool. Two of you are cool with it, and that's enough for me. I didn't even need one. Um, so profitable for teaching. And I believe that Paul here is unpacking teaching in the next three statements. That he's saying in the, in the teaching of the scriptures, which teach us so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work, it does that by reproof, correction, and training. So what that means is this, that reproof comes <laughs> uh, and tells you you're wrong. Not popular anymore. Don't, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't reprove people, we should encourage them. 
Well, the Bible reproves you. It tells you you're wrong. This is what I mean. If you're here just because you, you like the free bread and grape juice afterwards, the, 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 the scriptures as we open them are going to prove you wrong. It's going to prove me wrong. And it's not fun. But the good news is this. It reproves. It's, it reproves. There's, there's a reproof. There's a, you are wrong. This is wrong. You're going the wrong way. But thankfully, it doesn't just do that. Amen? It says it reproves and it corrects. It says this is the wrong way. This is the right way. So we come to the scriptures and, and we're not just beat over the head with our wrongness. We're shown, come on, the right way. Come on, whom he loves, he rebukes. So he, he tells you, I love you, you're wrong. He says you, you ought to go this way. And the first natural response when you really get in that mode is you go, okay, but all I know how to do is go this way. And now you're telling me I need to go that way, but I don't know how to go that way. So he says, don't worry, because I'm going to reprove you, I'm going to correct you, and then I'm going to train you to walk this way. So he says, this is wrong, this is right, and this is how you do what is right. This is way too practical for some people. You want it spiritual. But, but listen to me. This is not popular anymore. And, and I want to read, if I can, real fast, the next couple of verses, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 5. So, so we just read the last part of chapter 3. It says that the word does this. All of the Bible is breathed up by God, and therefore all of it is profitable for us because it teaches us. It tells us where we're wrong, what is right, and how to do what is right. And again, we talked about this already. In the, in the hearing of the word of God, it comes the grace and the power and the ability to fulfill the word. So these are not, please hear me, these are not works of, of, of labor. These are works of faith. According to first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, I believe it is, you can tell me if I'm wrong later, pa Paul tells them that they ought to have works of faith. So they're done in response and obedience to what God calls us to do, trusting that he will empower us to do it. Because again, I only know how to go this way. This is all I know how to do. So when he rebukes and reproves and corrects and trains me, I trust him that in the training will come the ability, come on, to fulfill the word so that all the glory gets to go to him. So even when I'm going the right way, I'm like, yeah, but I'm a, if, if the grace lifts, I'm going that way again real fast. I don't know if I can be this honest with y'all yet, but I'm going to and we'll see if we're still friends. There is a huge portion of my dead hard, fallen heart that still prefers that way. I still like that way. Because that way, I got to go my way. And nobody told me what way to go. I prefer in my flesh that way. Walked with Jesus for a long time now, still prefer that way. If the grace lifts for a moment, come on, I go right back this way. And I have to come back and hear, I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm saved. How can I be wrong? I need to hear the rebuke. I need to hear the reproof. I need to hear the correction. I need to be trained, come on, in righteousness. And we don't do this based on the opinions of man and the doctrines of the church. We do this based, come on, on the Bible. 
If you're looking for a church that just kind of leaves everything fuzzy-wuzzy, that's not going to be us. We have a Bible that Jesus gave us, and it's, it's breathed out by him, and it's profitable for us. And I'm not going to let alone something that could be of benefit to you and me. So chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Big picture, the word and Jesus have an unseparated, unique connectedness. John chapter 1. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 Jesus, through his word, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. Amen? And we as a church, can I take this letter written to a pastor and apply it then to his church? Can we do that? Am I allowed to do that? Can we, can we, can we understand that that's what's happening? When Paul's directing the pastor, what he's trying to do is direct the church. Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. He's the pastor in the church of Ephesus, and he writes Timothy two letters. I think I know why he writes Timothy two letters. I'm going to chase this rabbit for a minute. He, he, he writes Timothy two letters. Titus only gets one letter. Timothy gets two. I think I know the reason why. We, we have estimates based on uh, uh, both church history and secular history that there were about 50,000 believers in the city of Ephesus. Timothy is probably in his early 20s. And he's leading a 50,000-member church. No, thank you. Like, no. If I, if I would have been, dude, people were silly enough to hand me a mic when I was in my early 20s and let me stand up in front of four students. And I think that was a mistake based upon some of the things I said. Hello. I cannot imagine the foolishness that would have come out of my mouth in my early 20s in front of 50,000 people. But to add even more weight to Timothy. We know from church history, guess who sat in the front row of Timothy's church? Mary, the mother of Jesus. So not only do you have a big crowd, you got like some heavy hitters in the kingdom of God in your front row. I can just imagine Timothy like, well, when Jesus was young, he, and Mary's like, no, he didn't. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, so Timothy gets two letters. And Paul's trying to direct him. He's trying to say, look, you need to lead your church this way. And the thing he tells Timothy to do is get your butt up and preach the word. Listen to me, it's not popular anymore for churches to preach the word. It's popular now to have a, a felt need kind of life application stuff. Hear me, please. When we talk about the tendon that holds us together, we are going to come together every single Sunday. We're going to open the Bible, and I'm going to do my best, and the other teaching pastors and leaders here are going to do our best to do what Paul just told Timothy to do. To open up the Scriptures, to give a sense of what it means to, to make Jesus, come on, 
crystal clear in every word of the Bible and to make the gospel plain so that we can understand it. That's what Paul just told Timothy to do. And, and let's back up here real fast. This whole idea, I, I love it. We, we read verses like this. We say, there will come a day when people will not endure sound teaching. And we want to make this, we want to grab the timeline of history and make this some huge historical moment. Can I tell you, there will come a time when you and I will not want to endure sound doctrine. There are days, come on, that the last thing I want to do is open up the Bible and hear one more time that I'm wrong. And that's why it has to be week in and week out. So that when you walk in these doors, you know without a shadow of a doubt that the word of God will be opened, that Jesus will be shown to you, and the gospel will be made clear to you. That's what Paul tells Timothy to do. When we're talking about being joint together by ligaments, I am not talking about not reproofing people, but encouraging them. Come on, not correcting them, but comforting them. Not training them, but just build them up. These are the words we use, don't we? Well, just encourage us. I love you, but I'm not going to encourage you to be comfortable as you are built up walking your butt off a cliff. I need to be, and therefore I trust that you need to be given reproof, correction, and training. And that comes to us in the form of seeing Jesus and hearing the gospel. When we see Jesus, we realize just how wrong we are because he's right all the time. And I'm wrong all of the time. Except when I surrender to him and let him be right. So when we see Jesus, we see the distance between us and him. And when we hear the gospel, we find out that a way has been made for me to be with him. A way has been made for, for my failures to be consumed by his perfection. That my failures actually showcase and demonstrate my need for him and therefore show and showcase and demonstrate his great goodness. So each and every week, this is my commitment, my promise to go to the scriptures, to open them, to do my very best to show you Jesus, to make plain the gospel on every page. And if you fear that that will be boring, then I have nothing else for you. Because the gospel does not start you and then leave you. The gospel starts you into the kingdom and it sustains you in the kingdom. You never will hit a point where you have progressed past your need for the gospel. Can I tell you, in my experience, in modern day American churchianity, that's the itchy ear. I want to quit hearing that I need Jesus and just be told how I can be a better person. You can be a better person by surrendering your life to Jesus and admitting that you're wrong and he's right. So this morning, I need us to understand that it is the word that holds us together. We are, come on, lovers of God's word. That's it for us. We don't come here with other things. And listen, listen we'll use creative means. I'll use whatever means I can to try to help people understand the word. 
We've got a whole message coming up down the pike about creativity. But right now, we got to start with Jesus. We have to understand the word. So, so I, I promised you that I would give you practical application every week, that there was going to be a practical step that you could take during the week to reinforce this, this kind of organic rubber band that holds us together. Amen? So here's my, here's my, my encouragement to you this week, my challenge to you this week, my, my, my practical step that you can do. Last week, I told you to meet somebody you didn't know and ask them how they came to know Jesus. Do it over coffee or food or any beverage of your choice. Hopefully, some of y'all weren't rebellious and you did that. If not, do it this week. You thought you got out of it because you didn't do it last week, but you didn't. So go ahead and do that this week. But this week's practical step that we can do, I'm going to give you two different options because I want us to get into the word as a body. Because let me tell you, it's one thing to come here and hear the word preached. But if you don't learn how to feed yourself, you're going to be real, real hungry. So I want us to, to, to get into the Word. So here's, here's my challenge, because I'd like us to do this together. But I'm going to give us two options, because I know we like options. One, this is what I would prefer if you can do this. If you've never read a book of the Bible before, go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible or a flat screen, you can download a Bible for free. If you don't know about free Bible versions, just come talk to anyone who's been up here on the platform, and we can help you uh, find a Bible on your phone. If you, can't, if you don't have a smartphone, we'll find you a Bible. I got bunches of them. They're old school. They're made out of this thing called paper. (laughs) There's a book called Ephesians in the New Testament. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. I'd like you starting tomorrow, whether it's in the morning or at your lunch break or at night, to read one chapter a day. And that'll get you back to Sunday. Amen? That'll get you in the Word every day throughout the week. But here's what I'd like you to do. So that we can do this together, find somebody else in this room and share with them what you feel the Lord spoke to you, how he encouraged you, how he showed himself to you. Come on, how he showed you, hello, how you were wrong, how he's right, and how you can be like him through him. Amen? So find somebody. If you, if you are just like the total introvert, you probably like social media. Because you don't have to talk to people, you just get to talk at people. So introverts like that. So, so maybe you, you don't feel comfortable kind of going one-on-one with somebody. Throw it up on, online, anywhere that you hang out on the interweb. Share what it is that Jesus did. Let's do this together. Now, if you're like, well, I just finished this study in Ephesians. I'm such a spiritual person. Great. So in your Bibles is given you a book called Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters in it. And you can read through. This is the bigger challenge. If you're too spiritual to read a whole book of the Bible, you're going to read a whole book of the Bible for a lot longer. You can go to it, and since there's 31, you can go to each day of the month, and you have your own little built-in personal devotion. And it teaches you how to be wise by teaching you how you're a fool. So you can go there and read through it. If you, if you want to do that, go ahead and do that and, and share with people. But the big thing is get in the Word, come on, and share with somebody else what it is the Lord's showing you. Amen? That's our practical step this morning. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We're going to enter back into worship right now. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to respond to what we've heard. Primary way, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The primary way that we need to respond to the word is to respond to the gospel. And I don't care if you've heard it a thousand times. You're going to hear it a thousand and one. What I care about is have you repented? Repentance is just a big fancy church word that means that, that we admit that we're wrong and that Jesus is right. Where we admit that we, we fail and he succeeds. 
where we turn from that, that, that reproof comes and that correction comes. Repentance is that transformation of the way we think that leads to a transformation in the way that we live. And if you're here this morning and you have not big picture, repented of your sins, confessed that you are a sinner, that Jesus is Lord, I want to I tell you that, that it doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. If you miss that, you miss it all. So I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you need to repent of your sins, I would plead with you, I would beg with you to repent and believe upon Jesus. And if you're doing that this morning, I would encourage you, we're going to have in a moment some people up here to pray with you. I would, I would encourage you to come forward and have someone pray with you and have someone uh, uh, talk it through with you. Listen, they don't have magic powers or magic words. It's about you repenting. And that repentance, the Bible says, is a gift that God will give you. So you don't got to worry about coming up with the right words or the wrong words. He'll break your heart just right. And the words will come. But we believe in standing together with other believers. Experiencing the grace that comes through that. Secondly, if you are a believer, you've repented of your sins, you've trusted Christ, but you have been reluctant when it comes to responding to God's word. Come on, we all go through these times, we all go through seasons where, where our hearts just get hard, where our attitude toward his word gets uh, a little bit stiff-necked. And if you need to repent of that, I'd encourage you as well to come forward, confess your sin to a brother or to a sister, and to receive prayer, to receive that impartation of grace that comes through the connectedness, come on, that we have as a body. Last but not least, if you have any need, Come on, we believe that growth, that power, that grace comes through our connectedness. So if you have a need, these people up here, these, this ministry team is here to pray with you, to stand with you, regardless of what the need might be. You can have nothing to do with what I talked about today. We don't care. If you need physical healing, if you're at a place in life where you're just stuck and you need that training, come on, you need the, the word of the Lord to come and to show you that this is the way. Come on, walk in it love to stand with you and pray with you and believe Jesus to impart his heart and his grace to you. And as always, we will open up the altars as well for communion. If you have repented, these tables are open to you. Simply take the bread, dip in the cup, and partake. No one will come and dismiss you, but you can just come forward as you feel led. I'm going to pray for us one more time. And I'm going to ask God to begin to work on our hearts in a deep and in a new way. If he's doing that this morning, we would encourage you, we would beseech you, I would plead with you to respond to him. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are God and we are not. We thank you that in you, Jesus is the light that we need. That Jesus in you is, is a light that gives us life. And as hard as it might be for us to realize that we are in darkness, God, I'm thankful that you love us enough to not leave us there. And God, maybe today you're showing us afresh and anew just how righteous and holy and awesome you are. 
Lord, if we are looking and seeing that great distance, Lord, would you in the same grace, with the same power, with the same breath, God, just show us how your grace is more than able and more than sufficient to make up for our lack and to make up for our weakness and to make up for our shortcomings and that you rejoice in showing yourself strong on behalf of your children. Jesus, come. Draw us close to you. Grant to us repentance. Grant to us transformation for your glory, for your name, and for your renown.